Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. I'm your host, Ben Carson. And I got to tell you, we got a really special guest with us today, a best-selling author, an award-winning journalist, a TV show host, a law professor, a teaching preacher, probably best known for uh, his book, The Case for Christ. Now you know who I'm talking about, of course. It's the, the tremendous Christian apologist, Mr. Lee Strobel. And uh, Lee, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. So terrific to be with you. I'm honored to uh, be in your in your virtual presence, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I tell you, you have such a fascinating story, and a lot of people are familiar with it. But uh, maybe you could just uh, talk us through your journey yeah. from atheism. A Christian apologist. I mean, that's a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a long journey. Yeah, it. Uh, you know, I, I was an atheist uh, for much of my life. Um, I took three steps into atheism, uh, starting as a youngster, and um, really lived a lifestyle reflective of that. I, I had success in what I was doing. I went to Yale Law School. I was legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. I was winning awards for investigative reporting. Um, but what people didn't see was the other side, which was me literally drunk in the snow in an alley on Saturday night. Um, so I, I lived a very narcissistic, um, self-destructive, um, um, selfish, um, profane, uh, drunken life. I mean, that was that was the reality of, of where I was. And um, I married my high school sweetheart. Um, and she was agnostic, kind of in spiritual neutral. And uh, she met a woman who was a Christian and a nurse, and they became best friends. And she answered her spiritual questions, took her to church. And, and then one day, my wife came to me and gave me the worst news that an atheist husband could get. She said, I decided to become a follower of Jesus. <laughs> and I, literally, first word that went through my mind was divorce. I, I was, I was going to walk out. But then I thought, you know, what if I could rescue her from this cult that she gotten involved in? Um, and I realized, even as an atheist, that wouldn't be hard because everything depends on the resurrection of Jesus. Um, you know, even Paul said, if, if, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Um, that's the ball game. And so I thought as a journalist, I'd seen plenty of dead bodies, but I'd never seen any come back to life after three days. 
So I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and systematically investigate the historical data concerning the first century life, uh, teachings, miracles, supposed death and resurrection of Jesus to try to come to an informed conclusion about what really happened. And I spent two years mm. of my life doing that until November the 8th of 1981, when I realized that it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. <laughs> in other words, the evidence just uh, tipped the scales decisively in favor of Jesus. And that's when I repented of my sin, received forgiveness through Christ. And, and my life, like my wife's life, uh, began to radically change. My, my values, my character, my worldview, my attitudes, my philosophy, my relationships, my marriage. I mean, everything um, began to change uh, after that for the good. And ultimately, I left journalism and, and uh, to give the best hours of my day to sharing Jesus with other people around the world. And that's what I've been doing now for the past, uh, I don't know, 40 years or so. Well, your wife must have been uh, extremely happy <laughs> to see that happen. <laughs> She was. She imagine. threw her arms around my neck and she was crying and, and, and she said, I almost gave up on you a thousand times. And uh, <laughs> she said, when I was a new Christian, I told some women at church about you. And I said, I don't have any hope for my husband. And this one woman <laughs> kind of put her arm around her shoulder and, and said, uh, Leslie, uh, no one's beyond hope. And uh, right. she actually gave her a verse from the Old Testament, um, Ezekiel thirty six twenty six that says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And my wife prayed that verse for me every day behind the scenes for that whole two years that I was on that investigative journey. Yeah. And in uh, the book of Proverbs, the 21st chapter, first verse, says, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. So somebody yeah. who can be completely in the other direction <laughs> can turn them around. Yeah. I've seen it happen before. It's pretty oh, amazing. I, I have too. And, and uh, it's in, so inspired. In fact, I, I once wrote a book called uh, The Case for Grace. And uh, it's just full of stories like mine and so many others of people whose lives were transformed and, tr and turned around 180 degrees. And I just I, I get so inspired by those kind of stories. Yeah, they're, they're fascinating stories. Now, was there a particular thing that convinced you, or was it just an amalgamation of a whole bunch of things converging on you? It really was a cumulative case. There were four areas that I found convincing. I'll, I'll hit them really quickly. But the first one was Jesus really dead. And, uh, you know, we have five sources outside the Bible that talk about his execution. But even the Journal of the American Medical Association carried an analysis of uh, his death. And their conclusion was clearly the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. So he was dead. Secondly, the early accounts that we have. I thought the resurrection was a legend. And I knew it took time for legend to develop in the ancient world. In fact, at least two generations of time needed to pass before um, uh, legend could overcome a solid core of historical truth. And yet, in the case of Jesus, we have an account of his resurrection, including names uh, of groups and individuals who were eyewitnesses to his resurrection that has been dated back by scholars to within months of his death. 
And that's Mm. found in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 3. That particular passage there has been dated back to within months of his death. So that's far too quick to be a legend. And then third, the empty tomb. Um, Even the opponents of Jesus admitted the tomb was empty um, because they they claimed that the disciples stole the body. They, They never said, no, 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 the body's in the tomb. They never said that. They tried to provide a cover story for how the tomb got empty, but they never disputed the fact that the tomb was empty. And then fourth, eyewitnesses. You know, most of the facts that we accept about being true about the ancient world are based on one or two sources. And yet for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Jesus. I mean, that is an avalanche of historical data. And so yeah. it was based on that kind of data that I came to faith. Did you ever run across any data about people who had seen some of the other people who were resurrected when Jesus came up? Um, you're talking about uh, Matthew's account of the um, the tomb opening and or, or the the uh, curtain being the grave zone. And, and, and the, uh, yeah, I mean, we have one account of that. I wish we had more, but we have one good account uh, by Matthew. Um, but um, that's the only confirmation of that. Um, right. But in terms of other people supposedly resurrected in the early uh, uh, history, um, we have nothing like the resurrection that has these multiple um, angles of evidence that buttress each other and support each other and come to the same conclusion. Yeah. Now, what did, what did your family and friends think about this change in you? I imagine they were probably shocked. <laughs> yeah. Boy, were they ever. Um, I remember my colleagues at the Chicago Tribune, um, uh, you know, they, they to my face, they would say, oh, that's nice. That's interesting. And then behind my back, they would say, hey, here, Strobel's become a Jesus freak. Man, how did that happen? Yeah. So there was a lot of, a lot of um, strong reaction, a lot of uh, people who were um, really surprised that someone like me would find faith. And yet, um, as we said earlier, there's great stories of uh, so many people who have uh, gone that mm-hmm. same path and had the same result. Well, what gave, what gave you the ideal to to write the book, which obviously took off like lightning? Yeah, and my wife—it was my wife's idea. Um, um, she said, "Why don't you Why don't you put this into a book?" And I thought, "Oh, I don't know if I could." I was kind of skeptical, and then I thought about it, and I thought, "Yeah, maybe I should try." And uh, so I, I, I wrote the book, and and I feel like you know I'm a Chicagoan, so. Um, I think of this example of Wrigley Field, where in Wrigley Field, if um, a ball player hits a pop-up, uh, it should be caught by the center fielder. But sometimes the wind takes it out of the park in an unexpected way. And that's how I feel about that book. Did I write the book? Yes. Did I hit the ball? Yes. But the Holy Spirit has taken it so far beyond anything that I put into it. Um, and it's touched so many more lives than I ever could have touched. So I don't take the credit for it. I, I think it was in God's hands from the beginning. Um, I wrote that book in five months, working a full-time job, which is impossible to do, including all this travel. And, and, and yet um, God guided me through it. And I feel like he's the one who's, uh, who's drawn the results from it. And we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with Lee Strobel. 
Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Okay, and we're back with our guest, Lee Strobel. Many of you know his story. It's an absolutely fascinating story. Uh, how do you go from being a devout atheist to being a devout Christian? <laughs> but it's, it's wonderful because, you know, I remember myself uh, as a teenager having a horrible temper, and it was God that changed me. And people who know me now, they just can't believe it. I can't believe that you had a temper. Yeah. That's what God does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, your story kind of reminds me of the Apostle Paul. He <laughs> <laughs> was completely on the other side and, and became the greatest apostle ever. It's a pretty amazing story. But what, uh, what did the philosophers like Marx and Nietzsche, why are they so anxious to get rid of God, do you think? Well, I think there's um, a pride issue. They want to be in control. They want to be God themselves. I think it, it always goes back to that. People want to be their own gods. Uh, they want to run their own life. They want to have their own say. They want to control things and so forth. And uh, they don't like the moral strictures that uh, Scripture would impose on them. Um, I was just reading the account of a, um, a woman who's a, a well-known celebrity, I won't mention her name, but uh, she was writing about having attended a Christian church and, and, and seemed to have found faith. She, she, um, her faith seemed to come alive and, and it was very stimulating and exciting. But then she realized that some of the teachings of the Bible contradicted her leftist ideology. And at that point, the ideology stayed and her uh, faith disappeared and she walked away. Um, um, and, and I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They, they want to call the shots. They want to um, live the life that they want to live. They don't want to be held accountable by anyone. And, uh, you know, Romans says that um, there's evidence everywhere that God exists. Uh, so we're without excuse. And yet our tendency is to suppress it. Um, and, and it's interesting in the Greek there, the imagery is almost like a brake pedal on a car that we suppress it. And then it seems to come back a bit and we suppress it again. It seems to come back and we suppress it again. And, and, and so we have this motivation to not want to be held accountable by anybody, especially uh, the God of the Bible. And then there are, there are whole systems that want to get rid of God, you know? Yeah. Karl Marx said, the beginning of atheism is the beginning of communism. Yeah, you look because at they, they want they they want you to look to them yeah. instead of looking to God. I mean, one of the most extreme cases of that in our world today is North Korea, 
where a two-year-old child and his family were sentenced to life in prison because they were found in possession of a Bible. And the idea is we are the divine, we are the rulers, and, and anything that challenges that, um, we're going to try to stamp out. Uh, that's an extreme example, but that's in our world today. Uh, and you look at Christianity, the most um, persecuted faith on the planet, um, you know, you're right. There's a lot of um, motivation for governments and for individuals to suppress it. Well, you know, there are a lot of people who believe that science and God are at odds with each other. I always say true science and God are not at odds. False science and God are at odds because, you know, false science says out of nothing came something that actually became us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, give me a break. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think when you look at the scientific discoveries over the last 50 years in cosmology, physics, biochemistry, I think point ever more persuasively toward the truth of the existence of God. Uh, cosmology now establishes that there was a beginning to the universe. Well, whatever begins to exist as a cause Therefore, there must be a cause behind the universe. What kind of a cause could bring a universe into existence? It must be transcendent or apart from creation, must be powerful, must be smart, must be eternal or outside of time, must be immaterial or spirit. Um, right. I mean, you go down the list and it's a description of God or the fine tuning of the universe. Uh, our universe is so finely tuned on a razor's edge so that life can exist to a degree that you can't use the explanation as just by chance. It's ridiculous. Well, well, I mean, you look at the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah. Entropy says things move toward a state of disorganization. Right. So you're saying there's a big energized bang and everything comes completely together. That's completely <laughs> antithetical. To That's exactly right. You know, if you just think, you know, if you look up at the sky at night and instead of seeing stars, you see a hundred giant dials in the sky and each dial could be set at one of trillions of possible settings. And yet all of these dials are perfectly calibrated so that life can exist. That is the picture that modern physics gives us of our world. It defies the explanation that it just happened well, by chance. That's probably why Einstein was a believer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, look at all. <laughs> he made that. He he said, you know, the biggest blunder I ever made was when he his his equations said that there had to have been a beginning to the universe, and he couldn't cope with that at first. He said he said uh, I so he inserted the cosmological constant in a way that his equations would make the universe static, which everybody back then thought that it was. And uh, he later, after other physical physics discoveries disproved that, said that was my biggest blunder of all, to try to <laughs> um, violate my own equations just to try to prove that the universe is static and therefore didn't need a God. Exactly. Now, the movie... How did that come about? I mean, it's, it's, it's a great movie. It's oh, really, really good. Well, uh, it was funny because the book came out in 1998. And uh, many years later, I got a call out of the blue from Pure Flick Studios saying we'd like to make a, a feature film about your story um, based on the case for Christ. And um, I said, sure. And um, I got to choose the screenwriter, Brian Bird. 
who's written about 17 movies, great screenwriter. And um, they just did a one, I can't take credit for it. They did a wonderful job. I think it's a compelling film and it tells a story you know, most most based on true story films aren't even close to reality. But this one is about 85% accurate. And of course, they had to do some time shifting and some composite characters, but uh, just yeah. to make it all fit. But it's about 85% accurate, which is really, really high that's, percentage. That's tremendous. Well, you know, I had a lot of producers who wanted to do my movie, uh, including Disney. Oh, but, wow. But they all believed in artistic license yes you know what that means that yeah. means they would have an affair with some icu nurse i said no thank you yeah and finally we got the right ones to do it but they do compress like they compress college and medical school into yes. one thing you know but yeah. you have to because you only have a couple of minutes yeah yeah to create it in 90 minutes is hard but as long as they don't violate the intent of the story and that's of course the danger because you do kind of sign your rights away um, and, uh, but I put a provision in the contract that said that I got to choose a screenwriter and I knew he would protect our story and he did. Yeah. It makes, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Now, what, what were some of the take home points in your investigation in the case for the creator? Oh, well, um, I think this is fascinating stuff. Um, in fact, I've just written a new book that comes out in October called Is God Real? And uh, I deal with this again in that book in a new way. But, you know, I look at cosmology, the origin of the universe, which I just mentioned. I look at uh, physics, the fine tuning of the universe that I just mentioned. But a, a third area is the information we find in DNA. You know, nature by itself can produce patterns. If you walk down a beach and you see in the wet sand, ripple marks, you would say, oh, the waves made those ripple marks in the sand. So nature can create patterns. But if you're walking down the beach and in the sand, you see God loves Mary and a heart around it and an arrow through it, you would never say, oh, the waves did that. Why? Because that's information. And there's more information in every cell in your body than we find in 200 years of the Sunday New York Times. Right. Where does that come from? Whenever we see information, whether it's a painting on a cave wall, whether it's a computer code, whether it's a book, always, always, always there is an intelligence behind it. And uh, yeah. Stephen C. Meyer, who got his Ph.D. at um, um, Cambridge University in Origin of Life, uh, has written a terrific book called um, Return of the God Hypothesis and Signature in the Cell. This is kind of his area. And uh, I interviewed him, and um, I found his, his evidence overwhelming, that uh, the evidence of e intelligence we find in every cell provides evidence for the existence of a divine creator. Absolutely. It's everywhere if you look for it. It really is. You're right. If, if you want to find a reason to say that God doesn't exist, you can find that too. But, uh, you know, I, I look at the way that the scientists say, because frogs and dogs and people all have a circulatory system obviously one came from the other and came from, it, it, it's sort of like if a alien came to earth after the earth had been destroyed and, and found a rolls royce and a volkswagen and they said this volkswagen and this rolls royce they both have a combustion engine so obviously the rolls royce evolved from the rather than saying 
there are intelligent people who understood how these things work, so they <laughs> use the same design. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's such a logical conclusion to say if if God were to use similar approaches and techniques in creating different creatures, that's entirely logical. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's happened to faith mm. in our society? You know, it's it seems to be declining. All the recent studies show us, particularly among millennials, yeah. It seems to be disappearing. And interestingly enough, as it disappears, we seem to be spiraling downward as a nation. Yeah, we sure are. And um, I think part of it, this is a little uh, different take on it. I think part of it is good. And I'll tell you why. 50 years ago, if you ask the average American, are you a Christian? Oh, of course. Of course I'm a Christian. Because everybody's a Christian in the United States. Of course. I'm a, were they really Christians? No, they really weren't. They, they were culturally attuned to saying that they were because that was the answer expected. And so we used to think so many more people were Christians. The truth is, most of them weren't. And now I think people are being a little more honest. And they're saying, eh, I'm not a Christian. Okay, I'd almost like people better when they're honest and admit that they're not Christians than if they pretend they are. So from that aspect, I think maybe there's some positivity. But I think you're right. We're seeing a, um, I mean, uh, Franklin Graham said recently that that, uh, it's almost like um, the demons have been unleashed from hell. And what does that go back to? I think it goes back to several things. The family, the the fact that um, so many youngsters come from fatherless homes. Um, You know, it's interesting. There was a professor at New York University named, um, um, well, I'm going to blank on his name. He he wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. And and, um, he examined the lives of famous atheists through history. Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, Freud, Voltaire, Wells, Feuerbach, O'Hare, all of these famous atheists. And he found one thing in common. They all had a father who either died when they were young, divorced their mother when they were young, or with whom they had a terrible relationship. Hmm. And the implication is if your earthly father has deserted you or hurt you, you don't even want to know about a heavenly father because you think he's only going to be worse And I see that phenomenon in our culture. Two of the trends are we're seeing more and more fatherless families and we're seeing more and more skepticism toward faith. And even in my life, I had a terrible relationship with my father. He told me on the eve of my high school graduation, I don't have enough love for you to fill my little finger. So I had a terrible relationship with my dad. Did that contribute to me becoming an atheist? I think it did. So I think that's a factor that is driving some of what's going on in our nation. And C.S. Lewis had an answer for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, imagine what the perfect father would be like. Oh, the perfect father. My goodness, he would be loving and kind and gentle. And he'd pull you up in his lap and hug you and he'd be your biggest cheerleader. He said, that is a picture of your heavenly father. Our Heavenly Father is not just a magnified version of our earthly father. He is, he is other. He is different. He is, and, and um, he is the perfect father. And when people see that, sometimes it opens, up them, opens them up to the possibility of considering the idea of a Heavenly Father. Amen. I like that. That's a good sermon. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to take another short break, and we'll be right back with Lee Strobel. 
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. And we're back with our guest, uh, Lee Strobel, talking about all kinds of uh, interesting things here. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you, you know, we have a lot of people who are atheists or agnostics, or, but they claim to be moral people. Mm, yeah. Where, where does their morality come from? I mean, is a lion a moral animal? Be, you know, the gazelle that it eats probably doesn't think so. <laughs> But the cubs who get some of the food probably do. I mean, yeah. where does morality come from people who don't have a base like God? Uh, that's a great question. I think one of the strongest arguments for the existence of God is the moral argument, which is to say that if there is no God, there is no uh, universal morality, no absolute morality. And yet, we know there is absolute morality. Everybody would agree it's wrong to torture a baby for fun. Therefore, God exists. Uh, that's a strong argument for the existence of God, because you're right. Um, if, if, if there is no God, there is no absolute morality. There's just opinion. Oh, right. I don't like torturing babies or whatever. Um, no, there is. We all know deep down there is a, an absolute moral structure. And uh, that points powerfully and persuasively toward the existence of God. Um, in yeah. my book, uh, Is God Real?, I interview Dr. Chad Meister, who is a professor of, of philosophy, one of the most prominent in the country, and he makes that point very persuasively. Well, have you noticed in, in your uh, studies and looking for evidence and looking at society, uh, what's happened? What's, what has happened to the American family? Well, you know, because it is a complex issue, I think this is why a lot of people refuse to acknowledge it as being a base issue, um, because they don't have an answer for it. The answer is God, I think. The answer is Jesus Christ. I think that's Absolutely. the answer. And a lot of people don't want that to be the answer. And so they steer clear of examining the family as being part of the problem. And I think it is a central part of the problem. I don't think it's the only part. But I think it is a Absolutely. central part of the problem, don't you? I mean, my goodness. Um, um, when I was a, a child, I'm, I'm 71 years old. And uh, when I was a child, um, I had no friends who were from divorced families. I mean, back then, every family was exactly. a and, and And now, my goodness, it's, uh, you know, the uh, percentage of children born out of wedlock is, is astronomical. Um, and it's frightening. 40% 40, 40 of all babies born today are born out of wedlock. I mean, that's staggering when you think about it. Um, you know, yeah. people want to say, oh, it's a gun problem. Um, you know what? I don't like guns. I wish they didn't exist, but they do exist. And the Second Amendment protects them. Um, and, and yes, we ought to have regulation, I believe, re reasonable regulation of, of weapons. But even having said that, it's not the key to the problem. 
<laughs> it goes deeper than that. Why do we have people who are running wild in the streets? Why do we have people who are, um, uh, I mean, it's just staggering what's going on. Um, and it's an affirmation of what the Bible talks about, that things right. in the last days are going to get worse. Well, you know, not having a family to give you that solid base, yes. that love, that worth, all of those things that make you into a decent human being, yes. uh, I think is, is creating a situation where we have these young people who don't mind just going out and slaughtering people yeah. because, because people don't mean anything to them. They don't. And, and, and when you think of how many hours young people are on video games where they're killing people virtually uh, right and left um, and, and developing an in insensitivity toward people. I mean, I got to think that's a bit of a contributing factor as well. Um, no question. Well, can you um, can you tell us a little bit about the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University? Yeah, because I do believe that Jesus is the answer. I do believe that apologetics, which really merely refers to evidence that backs up the faith, it's giving reasons and evidence for the truth of the faith. I think it's ever more important in the 21st century. And so I gathered together 40 PhDs. We created 91 fully accredited, fully online courses that um, people can take to get a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in evangelism and what we call applied apologetics. By that, we mean not to become an ivory tower academic, but to become someone who's going to put this into use, who's mm -hmm. going to take reasons for belief and, and do podcasts or do write books or do radio shows or just talk to a neighbor over a backyard fence. We want right. people who are going to put it into use. And so we started this center at Colorado Christian University, which is a terrific school. So people can get these degrees. We have our first graduates in the master's program who are just now graduating. One of them almost has 100,000 subscribers to their YouTube channel where they wow. he talks about evidence for the faith. That's what we're trying to do to influence the culture. Um, we believe that every church needs an evangelism point person under the direction of the senior pastor to lead the evangelism charge of that church in the local community. We want to train those people. But then we developed an, another thing called certificates. These are for people that don't want a degree, but they want to learn. And so we have um, about 40 different courses you could take on, for instance, take a course on Islam, take a course on war religions, take a course on the evidence for the resurrection, take a course on science and faith, all of these courses. And if you take five of these courses, then you get a certificate kind of affirming that you've completed this course of study, kind of a stamp of approval. Uh, but it's for people that want to work at their own pace and do it fully online and on their own. And uh, so we've had great success with that. So we really believe that in the 21st century, it's important to know not just what we believe, but why we believe it. And uh, that's why we believe apologetics is important. And if people so want information, they can go to strobelcenter.com. Uh, that was my next question. How, how do people get more information yep. on you, what you're up to, your college courses? Yep. Strobelcenter.com is, is the, the way to get the information on our courses. Uh, LeeStrobel.com is my website. And um, it's an adventure, I'll tell you, Dr. Carson. Um, I never, when I was an atheist, would have anticipated that I would have thrown away all my 
work in journalism and just to spend my time sharing Jesus with others. And Amen. it has been such an adventure and such a joy. Uh, I thank God for the opportunity. And that's what he does. He, he provides opportunities for us. Yeah. Uh, if we're willing to step aside and, and let him take the lead. Yeah. He will, he'll never lead you in the wrong place. There's no question about that. That's and, true. Now, I think about some of the many difficult surgeries that I had to do. And sometimes I looked at them and I said, wow, can't do that. That's impossible. And I said, but you can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he does. Because I, I look back at a lot of my op notes now and I say, what? <laughs> <laughs> How did we do that? We did it because God helped us. <laughs> There's no question who's in charge there. But uh, that's awesome. I love the fact that you have these online courses because we've started that too with our uh, executive branch for America Excellent. to teach people how the government works because we, we need people to get them, good people to get involved yes. in government. But we want them to be able to hit the ground running. We want them to know all the stuff. They can get a certificate. And, uh, you know, we can just help each other. There are a lot of people say, you know, the world's too far gone and just forget about it. And the Bible says it's going to be this way. And we just have to accept that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, fold your hands and give up yeah. and just wait for the Lord to come back. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. So, so we have work to do. Absolutely. Um, we, and, need, and, we need people like you um, in government. Um, I, I look at sometimes our, our political scene and say, where are the Ben Carsons? Where are the people who are logical and rational and and who have the best interests of the nation at heart and who set aside partisanship in favor of uh, of solving problems that are facing us? They're out there. The people are out there. Thank God for you and your organization that are training people to be um, the troops that we need in the future to to to, to rescue our country. Absolutely. Well, it'll make the difference. Just before we leave. Uh what gives you hope these days? These what gives days? me hope? You know, my grandchildren. I have four grandchildren. And to watch them come alive and, and find Jesus and see their little lives transform and see their optimism and see their love for country. And I go, you know what? God isn't done with this land. And God isn't done with this world yet. And, and um, so they give, me, they give me encouragement and confidence. Well, I got to tell you, you give me hope. People like yourself, allowing God to use you to have an enormous impact on the world in these last days. And I just want to thank you for your courage and for your willingness to work with God and help lead other people. Well, thank you. The only thing that makes a difference, you know. Yeah. Stuff in the world, titles, money, info, it means really very little compared to a relationship with God. Absolutely. And that clear. So thank you. Please keep up the wonderful work. We love it. Thank you. You too. God bless you and your listeners. enjoyed that uh, episode with Lee Strobel. What an incredible Christian man and what an amazing story. 
going from a devout atheist to a devout Christian and letting God use him in such a powerful way to influence so many people around the globe. It's just an amazing story. And that brings me to our prescription for the week. Share your faith with one person, just one person, this week. That's all you need to do because you'll be doing them a favor and you'll be doing yourself a favor too. And that's it for this week. And uh, I hope you all will make sure that you listen to all of our podcasts. You can get them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you don't miss any of the previous episodes because we all have a duty to bring common sense back. We need to make common sense common again. And remember the pillars. What are they? Faith, right at the front. Liberty, freedom in our country is so critical and it's being threatened. Community, we're not each other's enemies and we're stronger together. And life, from the womb to the tomb. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.